Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Seeing Jesus Unclearly was given by Bill Dogtrum and is the 25th in our series, The Kingdom. We are in the Gospel of Mark and we are on uh, the kind of the mountaintop for the Gospel that's been building uh, since the beginning of our conversation uh, a while ago to this um, point today in the 8th chapter, uh, and uh, if any of you need Bibles, we've got a few around. Thank you, Megan. Anybody else need one? Just feel free to raise your hand if you uh, don't have one. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Back over there. Okay, so uh, I'm on page 820, uh, Mark 8, and we'll begin at verse 22. Uh, Up until this point, remember, Jesus and the disciples have been uh, kind of wandering in, in various places, um, identifying, connecting with people, drawing men and women to, to himself. Jesus has. He's been saying things to his disciples, saying things to the crowds, and, and building an understanding of who he is, uh, and at the same time trying to push back against a pre-understanding of who he needed to be. One of the hardest things that, that Jesus has to do, it seems to me, in this gospel is... Um, tear down what people's expectations are so they can receive who actually he is with expectancy. Does that that make sense? Uh, I suspect that he probably has to do the same kinds of things in our lives a lot, Uh, especially those of us who have have been born and raised in churches or whatever. We have an expectation of how Jesus is supposed to be, what he's supposed to do, how he's supposed to act, and where he's supposed to stay. Uh, whereas if in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is continually going, uh, 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 coloring outside the lines. He's continually disappointing expectations. And, and one of the things that uh, I, I want to put on the table uh, is that your expectations of Jesus will blind you to the reality of Jesus. Your expectations of who he must be will disable your receiving of who he actually is to you. Uh, And even though our expectations are nice, the the advantage with expectations is that they're crisp and clear. We know what we want with clarity, with precision, right? The difficulty with that, obviously, is that we're going to be disappointed most of the time because expectations are our internal internalized projection on somebody or some situation or some uh, circumstance there are a few times when your expectations are just blown out of the water in a positive way right Uh, those of you who went to the u2 concert uh, at, at anaheim the word after word after word i'm hearing from that is that it was just so much more than I ever expected it to be. Or those of you who went to the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago that turned into almost like a worship service in that environment, uh, just kind of, kind of, I could not possibly have expected that. You know? Um, or, but one of the things that expectation does in terms not just of events but of people is that it becomes a paradigm that disables our receiving of them as they actually are. 
One of the things that I have to do when I do pre-marriage counseling with people is help them identify what their expectations are of their husband or wife. Uh, because the first blip on the divorce statistics is at about six months. And the primary reason is disappointed expectations. You're not the person I thought I was getting. Because the truth is, ten minutes after you're married, you're married to somebody else. <laughs> right? And if you, if you don't receive the gift of this person with expectancy, but without expectation you're going to run into some problems, right? Um, and Jesus is pushing back against that because people have an expectation of who he's supposed to be. They know what he's supposed to do. In fact, they have written his job description for almost 1,500 years. So clear are they, so precise are they, that they know who he is and what he's supposed to do. And you'll notice in our stories over the last few weeks that Jesus has just been systematically taking an axe to the root of their expectations. How many of you have felt disappointed with Jesus in the last couple of three weeks? As Sunday school Jesus died a couple of weeks ago, magic Jesus died last week, it's like, well, who we got left? Right? That's where we are today. He's trying to dismantle our expectations so that when he comes, we can say yes and thank you. It's very difficult. Very difficult. So here's where we go. It's one of the weirdest little stories. We pick it up in verse 22. Um, uh, listen, can you put my map up again just so I'm not going to refer to it again? I love this map. So I'm, uh, um, you'll see where we are, Bethsaida, upper right-hand corner. We're on the border between Gentile territory on the right side, Jewish territory on the left. He's going to make reference to the cities of Caesarea Philippi, uh, and that is up in that region as well. So it's a hostile region. It's really unsettled. There's hardly anybody lives there because it's such a hostile environment. Even today, it's a difficult place uh, to live. So now you know where we are. We got there by boat. Remember, Jesus is seeking systematically to avoid the crowds because every crowd has an expectation and force him into that um, mold of who he is supposed to be. So back to the text. Thank you. Um, they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? The man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. This time he looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then Jesus sent him away to his home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You're the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. 
So we pick this up, verse 22, strange story. When we read this story over, if you read it care, it's, 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 it's one of those stories that you want to read like a rock skipping over the lake, where you just get up enough momentum that you kind of don't sink into the story. How many know that there are passages in the Bible you're just safer to stay away from? It's good to read like in your one-year Bible. Oh, that was like, if this is Tuesday, it must be Revelation. You know, we're, we're flipping through as quickly as we can. We, we bounce over the surface of a text, scared to death that we'll lose momentum and stop, and the rock of our lives will sink down into the text of Scripture, and now we have to deal with the text that is really hard to deal with. Because we read this story, and it sounds like, I know it can't be, but it sounds like Jesus just ran out of juice. Doesn't that sound like that to you? Like maybe he hadn't done his devos this morning. Maybe he wasn't, you know, hadn't worked out. What, what, what do you mean the guy was not healed the first time? How does this happen? Right? You did catch that as we read through it. Right? Anybody else bothered by this story? Nobody. Just me? Okay. Anyway, so he came to Bethsaida. We're in this region. Remember, Jesus is, 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 is trying to negotiate the tension between Jewish expectations and his heart for the Gentiles. So here we are kind of on this border region, as far away from Jerusalem as he can possibly get, under the radar screen of the Pharisees who are living in Jerusalem at the time and sending out em em emissaries to try and figure out who he is and where he fits. So this is where we're at. He is, he, is, he is on the backside of nowhere, right, when, when this story goes down. And, and, and out of this little village of Bethsaida, people have heard of him. They bring a blind man so that Jesus could heal him. Now, Mark doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing this is very similar to the other kinds of things that have begun to happen. People want to see the show. People want to see a miracle. People want to see something happen. So they're now scouring the streets for somebody who's sick. And when they find him, they bring him to Jesus, right? There's no necessary personal connection with this guy. There's no uh, family connection that we're aware of. It's just some people found a blind guy and led him. He doesn't even know where he's going. He's a blind guy, for crying out loud, right? And they bring him to Jesus and say, okay, magic worker, heal him. Right? Wait, wait, wait. I've got to get my you know, Kodak moment camera. I've got to get my iPhone out. Ready. Okay, go. Now, by the way, people do that now with Jesus. These folks are not looking for proof of their faith. They're fundamentally looking for a sideshow. Jesus gets what's going on. And do you notice what he does? His compassion for the blind guy is, is deep and profound. He takes the blind man by the hand and leads him away from the village, from the center of the action. And we don't know whether people followed them or they just gave up. Oh, no, they're going for a walk. Oh, rats. You know, okay. Boy, Oprah's on. So, so we got to, you know, get back and watch what our, we got to get on with our life. If, if he's not going to do the miracle when we need the miracle done, fine, we'll show him, right? 
or whether they were following along in smaller numbers, but the point is they were outside the village, they were in a rural environment, and Jesus um, uh, spits and anoints the guy's eye, and it's like, oh, what are you doing? And you'll notice in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus does all kinds of different ways of healing people. He wants to make the point, this isn't magic, it's not ritual, it's not incantation, it's not any of the ways that you have gotten used to these kinds of things happening, right? Sometimes he touches, sometimes he speaks, sometimes he makes mud, sometimes in this case he anoints the man's eyes with spittle. Then he lays hands on him, and then he asks him, now he doesn't do this ever before, or ever after. He just says, can you see anything? And the guy says, well, I mean, compared to yesterday, yeah, I can, I can see people. At least I assume those are people. I've never seen people, but I'm assuming those things are people. But they look like what I think trees would look like walking around. Jesus touches him again the second time. And then the man is able to see with clarity and precision what he could not see clearly the first time. What is going on in this story? If you have been with us over this season, you'll, 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 as we've been in the Gospel of Mark, you'll have noticed that Mark, and I pointed this out a couple times before, so just to underline, Mark loves to do things in pairs to do things in twos. He'll take a single story sometimes and divide it in, in half so he can have part one and part two. But he has two feelings of the, of the multitudes. He has uh, two, in this case, two and only two healings of blind men. Just two. Now, there were probably other blind men healed, but Mark only tells us the story of two of them. One occurs here, and the other occurs in chapter 10. And with Mark, it's that second beat that becomes a critical, critical component of the story. Um, and, and so we have this story here, and we have to say, now, Mark is not just telling us the story of Jesus so we know it. He's trying to tell us something about Jesus in story form. We are 20th century, 21st century, modern and postmodern, for the most part, sitting in this room. So when we were, if you were charged with communicating something of significance, you would probably not choose story as the primary way to convey that. Right? We would, we would have rules, we would have regulations, we would have a book, we would have all kinds of, kinds of uh, things that would convey how people ought to live and act and what they ought to believe and so on and so forth. There have been times, frankly, when I wish that's what we had. But instead, we get story. We get children's stories, often, that convey truth. So what is Mark doing? What truth is he teaching us about Jesus and about our following Jesus in the telling of this story? It's very simply this. Sometimes, when you first encounter Jesus, you begin to see things you never saw before but you still don't see things clearly. You still don't get him completely. You are still seeing 
men as trees walking. In order to get Jesus with clarity and precision, you need a second touch for clarity. Now, the truth is, in the Gospel of Mark, this theme repeats over and over again. There are only two healings of blind men, right? I've already mentioned this. This one in chapter 8, the other in chapter 10, which we'll get to. I want you to, if you can remember this, I want you to notice the response of the guy who's healed in chapter 10. What happens when people see clearly having been previously blind, right? We'll get to that uh, in, in a couple of, uh, couple of weeks. But right now, I want you to come back to this one. So does this make sense? So Jesus has, has touched him, and, and I've, I've got to believe that Mark is doing this very deliberately. You, 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 and, and Jesus is doing this deliberately, that, that this blind man having received the touch of Jesus, sees things but needs a second touch to see things clearly. So what is the story? Jesus tells the man, don't go back into the village, go home by another way, right? So what is it that the disciples see of Jesus but not clearly yet? Verse 27. He went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked his disciples... Who do people say that I am? They said, some are saying that you are John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah. How many think that Peter saw clearly what he was saying? He got the words right. He had been trained by his culture in the right words. But did he understand what he was saying when he said, you're the Messiah. Now, if you'd have asked Peter, he had a very clear expectation of what Messiah was going to do and be. And in fact, for the next few chapters, 9, 10, uh, specifically, he and Jesus are going to go toe-to-toe over and over again on precisely this because Jesus will refuse to conform to Peter's expectation of what it means for him to be Messiah. So Peter clearly is the guy who sees, but not clearly. Who gets it, but not compellingly. Who understands, sort of. You with me? On the way there, however, Jesus is asking his disciples, what's the word on the street? You guys are sitting at coffee at Starbucks. Who, who do people say that I am? What's the, what's the gossip? What's the rumor on the street? And they, 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 they push back because they've got, they've got an awareness of this. And I, I need you to sit with for a minute how much pressure Jesus was under simply by the expectations of the crowd. The, the, the pressure of celebrity to be a certain kind of person. We have a category in our popular entertainment media called one-hit wonders. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Bands, authors, people who have produced a a, a song uh, on an album of seven or eight or nine or ten songs. One song broke through, got up into the Billboard Top Ten, 
And that becomes the signature song of that individual for the rest of his life. He's living on residuals or royalties of that. It got picked up for a commercial or a movie or something like that. And it just goes and goes and goes. And that poor guy cannot write another song for the rest of his life without that shadow tracking along with him. Or somebody who, is, who has written a novel, a breakthrough novel, uh, just that, that, that just is an outstanding piece of, of work and literature and art, and just for some reason got picked up on Book of the Month Club or whatever it was, showed up at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon uh, on TV, and, and there, there it was, and just blitzed through. Every other book he or she writes just fails in comparison to that one-hit wonder. You with me? Think about what the pressure Jesus was under as people knew who he must be because of their expectation of what he was saying and what he was doing. This past weekend witnessed the death of a woman who was crushed by her own celebrity. You think of what it means for a woman. I think Amy Winehouse was 27 years old. Been on the public scene for something under five years. Broke through with an album. Four or five hits on that album. Most famous one, of course, is the, is the rehab um, song. Her, her, the texture of her vocals is just, for me, it reminds me of, of like Billie Holiday. Just this, this gutsy soul, uh, smoky, throaty lyric content, powerful lyricist. And instantly, what, what capacity does a 27-year-old woman have for worldwide acclaim? She was born to a cab driver and a civil servant in a blue-collar neighborhood in England. What capacity does she have for the pressure of celebrity? So yesterday found dead. I don't know. It could be uh, this morning that they've released official findings. I don't know. But as I was thinking about this yesterday, still no official word on what killed her physically. But I think I know what killed her. I think it was crushed to death by celebrity. We do this all the time to people, don't we? People who, 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 who we idolize and press and push and make who we want them to be. And if they don't, we kill them in one form or another. Now you get what Jesus is up to here. He is on the backside of nowhere. And people know who he is. They've got opinions about him. Some think you're John the Baptist. And, and again, it's not that they had reincarnation, John having died, come back from the dead. It's just that the spirit of John the Baptist, the spirit of the prophet who was preparing the way for the Lord, the one before the coming of Messiah, Jesus, we think you're another one like that. Or Elijah. If you study the Old Testament all, you know that Elijah was one of the two people in the Old Testament who didn't die who on the day of his death got into a chariot and just rode off. In, uh, that, what a way to go! You know, if you got to, uh, that's not bad. That's not bad, right? 
Get a chair. Boom. Okay. So, so the rumor got started, the belief got started that Elijah, not having died, was going to return as a prophet to usher in the kingdom of God at the end of the age. And so the speculation at the end of the age, this eschatological end times speculation is just bubbling, 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 bubbling. In fact, some of them are even saying, Jesus, that you are one of the prophets. Remember, Moses, Deuteronomy, said that, that, that a prophet like him, greater than him, was going to arise. And some people are saying, you're the new Moses. And you know what Moses did, didn't you, Jesus? John the Baptist is a precursor. Elijah is a precursor. But the one prophet like Moses, do you remember what Moses did? The greater Moses is going to lead us out of this hostile environment. He is going to lead us to national prominence again. Israel is going to finally under... Well, we're not going to say, but we think you. Your leadership... Boy, if you don't know who you are, that gets pretty heady pretty fast. Jesus knew who he was. He saw with clarity who he was. So when he hears all of this, we think you're a precursor. We think you're the way maker. We think you, in fact, might be the guy. All of these come with political and military expectations. We think if we elect you president, everything's going to get better. If we just get our guy in there, everything's going to work out. The Romans are going to be gone. Taxes will be legitimized. Israel will rise to its prominence, and we will rule the world. No pressure. Right? And Jesus says, well, who do you guys think I am? You've been with me now for two and a half, three years. What are you thinking? And Peter just spits it out. I love Peter. He says what the others are kind of thinking but are afraid to say. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one, like David, who we have expected, longed for, prayed for. Every Jewish mom, if she had a male uh, child born, would pray that he be the Messiah. And you're the guy. And Jesus says, now don't tell anybody. What? He doesn't just say it. He says he ordered them sternly. Don't tell anybody. What is he doing? Peter is still seeing blurry. He's still seeing without clarity. The expectation that he has for Jesus is about to get seriously tweaked by Jesus. Right? And in this moment, he knows enough to say it but not enough to know what he's saying. How many of you know what that feels like? You learn a new theory, you learn a new practice, you learn a new belief, and you say it, hoping that you believe what you're actually speaking and not quite sure what the content of your belief actually is. If you have ever been a teacher or, or, or um, have been in a situation where you're trying to learn things or, or communicate something to somebody else, either on either side of the equation, there comes a moment when, when I remember this with, with learning calculus uh, way back 
in, in the dim dark, it was a previous century actually. Um, and, and, and I was learning this and I could not, could not get this. I did not understand how numbers could not go straight lines. That did not make, and calculus was one of those things that just had numbers bending. It's just, how does this work? Things like that. I don't get it. I don't get it. And then I had a math teacher in high school who explained it to me in a way that I began to conceptualize how it might be true. What if, he says, numbers don't work in two dimensions, but three or four or five? Remember that graph that you did with algebra in two dimensions, x-axis and y-axis? I know some of you are having horrible flashbacks and you're just <laughs> hoping I'll move on. He said, what if there is a z-axis that comes out from the center? And I said to him, like a sphere? It was like somebody turned the light on for me, right? How, you, you know what I'm talking about? It, it, or, or, or trying to learn a song in the piano or trying to get master a dance step in a choreography in a show that I was in or something like that. And you're just tripping over yourself. You're like Kate Goslin. And, and, uh, sorry. I, oh, I swore I wasn't going to do that. I'm sorry. I'm dancing with the stars in case anybody can. Anyway, you're just kind of tripping over yourself and, you, you, and you're getting it. You're not quite learning into it. You're not quite. And then all of a sudden one day, bang, you've got it. Don't be teaching people to dance before you've got it. Don't be instructing others in calculus before you've got it. Don't be talking to people about Messiah until you've got it. Peter sees as a man who sees men as trees walking. He doesn't quite get it yet. He's on his way. And by the way, Peter's the ambassador here. This is us, yes? And here's the question I want to leave you with this morning. Is it possible, especially for those of you who were born and raised in church, that the Jesus you saw clearly, recently you have come aware, not so much. It's not somebody I want to follow. Maybe it's Sunday school Jesus from a couple weeks ago. Maybe it's magic Jesus. Maybe it's somebody that you have, have a, a God that you have created in your own image. And you're coming to an awareness that this Jesus of these that revealed here in the story in Mark, he's just not playing fair. He's not what I expect. I don't quite know what I think of him yet. I don't quite get where following him is going to lead me. I don't know if I'm going to like it. But I'm starting to see things differently. Things have come out of focus for me in the last few months, years maybe, and are now becoming back, coming back into focus. I'm but I'm not there yet. I'm still seeing things blurrily. But I think I know who he is. Maybe you're like that. Or maybe like so many who have come to the garden in, in the last few months, you started out pure agnostic. You came because somebody told you there were bagels and cream cheese. Or, or, or because we meet in a bar, isn't that cool? Or whatever. And, 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 and over, over the months of showing up here 
and building friendships and relationships and listening to the word week after week after week, you're starting to say, I can't say I don't believe anymore. I don't know what I believe yet. I don't know if I'm quite ready to say like Peter did. But things are starting to take some shape in ways that I'm not sure what the implications of that are. I'm going to ask you, as we come to conclusion this morning and come back into worship, if you are at a place, uh, and, and by the way, I want you to notice that these guys are not yet believers. They're still just disciples. They're still following Jesus as best they can without clearly understanding everything they need to understand. And maybe for the most of us here, that's as good as it gets for right now. And I'm going to ask you to let that be as good as it gets for right now. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to have answers for all your questions. You don't have to have all of the problems solved and everything in its right place. But you're starting to see with clarity I'm going to invite you in, in response to the word, whether you do so at one of the crosses or just where you're at, to kind of affirm where you're at. Don't make stuff up. Jesus gets you and invites you to get him as well as you can. Getting that trajectory of faith that will come clear with the second touch. Still yet to come. Because the implications of the second touch are pretty profound. But right now, I know enough to follow. Next step. Lord Jesus, as we sit with this um, troubling text and the implications of it, I just pray for my friends here. Um, in either of those two groups, people who grew up in church and, and have kind of given up on, on the Jesus that they knew then. It's just not fitting the Jesus that emerges off the pages of Scripture. It wasn't very helpful or useful. And Jesus, um, now beginning to see with some degree of clarity, but still fuzzy, pray that you would give them courage to follow with blurred vision. And others, Lord, who had no preconceived idea of who you were at all and have only begun to develop an awareness uh, through the exposure to the Word and life lived out in community here uh, and are not yet ready to make full-on confession and commitment of their lives to you, but are willing to say, I think I'm starting to get this. I'm not going to be teaching anybody. I'm not going to be talking a whole lot about it. I just want to sit with it. But I'm willing to sit with it. Lord Jesus, take especially those two groups of folks and just let them know that it's okay not to see everything clearly just yet. To keep walking gently forward, trusting at this stage in what they don't see clearly that you will lead them home. You will give them a place to stand. Help them in this, Lord, I pray, even today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I cultivate Thanks for listening. 
If you would like to hear other messages from the garden, or if you would like to find out more about the Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org.